but I felt like a, a new person was born. Like I was different. Things that mattered didn't matter anymore. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Assyrian Podcast. It's Rhoda here, and I'm so happy to bring you the story of Adrina Alchas for episode 62. She is an author, college professor, wife, and mom, and she's also recently teamed up with a former guest of the podcast, Mariam Shamalta from Shamira Media, to offer a series of talks in various cities aimed at empowering women. You'll hear Adrina talk more about the vision behind Assyrian Empower Her and her book, Empower Her, in this episode. Assyrian history is filled with stories of kings, fighters, and inventors who have changed the world and the course of human civilization and history. That same history boasts of women like Malikta Shaminan and Muggi the warrior, but maybe lacks the stories of countless of grandmothers, mothers, daughters, and sisters who have supported their families and communities with their quiet strength, grace, and love. This is why I'm so glad I got to read Adrena's book and talk to her about the superwomen in her life, both real and fictional. Adrena's book, in addition to being a collection of stories about her family and personal life, is about helping young women navigate the toxic terrains of school and work and how to fight for their dreams and ambitions and figure out how to have it all. You'll hear more about what this means to Adrena in this episode. We'll also post the link to her book in the show notes. Before we get into this week's interview, support for this podcast comes from Tony Caligarakos and the Injury Lawyers of Illinois and New York. If you know anyone that has been in a serious accident, please reach out to Tony Caligarakos. Tony has been recognized as a top 40 lawyer and a rising star by Super Lawyers Publication and has obtained multiple multi-million dollar awards. Tony can be reached at InjuryRights.com or 847-982-9516. Everyone has their own special way of looking at life. And now, here's Adrina Alchas and the way she views life. So you wrote a book yes. called Empower with an H-E-R. In yes. Name. Did you ever think you would write a book? No. Never. I mean, I've done, I've done, you know, I have, I have my doctorate, so I've done thesis and, and I've done the dissertation and all the schoolwork and stuff like that, but never, ever, I mean, especially having three kids and just the craziness and the chaos that goes around that and working also, I, no, never. One of my favorite authors is Toni Morrison. Yeah. And one of the things that she said about the first book she wrote is that the book she wanted to read was not out there. And so yeah. that's what yeah. inspired her. So I wondered how true that was for you. It was ex- it was exactly the same thing for me because I thought to myself, if I was a 20-year-old, if I went back to being 18, 19 years old, mm-hmm. what would I tell myself and how would I educate myself? Mm-hmm. What what type of book would I want to read as a 20-year-old? And And I thought to myself, well... I should just write one for those girls that are passive that uh, like me when I was in my early 20s just starting off and kind of not knowing how to maneuver around toxic people and toxic work environments and you know Akhlan Suraye were taught to respect people and to always be mindful of others at least that's how we were always taught and my personality was always very quiet and 
shy and mm-hmm. passive. So I, uh, and going out in the real world after college, I just didn't know how to maneuver around somebody that was being very toxic to me and, or doing things mm-hmm. towards me that was not benefiting, benefiting my work. So, and how do you maneuver around that? It took a while to figure it out, yeah. but you know, so now you're, I'm older and <laughs> not that I know any better. I'm still learning. Yeah. So there's ne- never a moment where you should think that I know it all ever, mm-hmm. ever, because you, the day you think you know it all should be the day you should just not work, not, not mm-hmm. you know, just not, not even be a leader because you're always educating yourself and you're always, you know, trying to better yourself so that you could be a better leader. You teach communications classes, is that right? I have to say that totally came through in the book because (laughs) the way it sounded to me was like listening to like a big inspirational speech at times. And it was nice because you integrated these funny, personal, and like Mm -hmm. culturally relevant um, little tidbit, (laughs) like asides. And to me, those felt like moments where you were like a wink, wink at the reader, or like nudging them closer, or like developing a Mm -hmm. more intimate relationship with whoever's reading your book. Yeah. Um, Why was it important for you to write in that kind of Uh, tone because I want it to be as though I was drinking chai with you (laughs) and having a conversation with Mm. you I wanted it to be uh, I wanted to set an an inviting tone for the younger demographic Mm -hmm. when they're reading it because they're the vulnerable ones Mm -hmm. you know they're the ones that are impressionable they're the ones that are still learning and and trying to maneuver around their environment and the and the unknown. Mm-hmm. Your 20s, I, I felt like my 20s were the unknown. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you sure. know, I still don't know what I'm doing <laughs> half the time. But Hacha, I, it's gotten better. Like, yeah. you know, I'm I'm more stable now mm-hmm. than I was in my 20s. So that's how I approached it. And it said, listen to this. So I'm writing it. I had a I had help. I had a I hired a writer's coach, okay. a writing coach to help me because in the beginning cuz I was like, how do I start this? Mm-hmm. How do I go about it? So this lady, she's from England. She actually helped me because when I started writing it, my first chapter sounded like a dissertation. Uh. <laughs> and she goes, "Adrina, this is not how you write a nonfiction. Mm-hmm. You need to you need to have a different tone. You're not doing a research project. Mm-hmm. You're having a conversation with an 18 year old mm-hmm. sitting next to you, and that's how I wrote it. Yeah, that that totally came <laughs> okay, through, good. and I really really enjoyed that. You have a daughter and two sons. Yeah. Did you have your daughter in mind when you were writing the book? Yes. Oh, most definitely, mm-hmm. because I say these things to her now. Mm-hmm. Cause she's just how I was mm-hmm. very passive and, and very, very shy and quiet. Mm-hmm. So I tell, because you know, the little girls, mm-hmm. it starts young. I mean, mm-hmm. kindergarten, first grade, these, there's mean girls out there. Mm-hmm. And I tell her, you know, Betsy, these girls are going to be there whether you like it or not mm-hmm. there, these girls will be there when you start working. Mm-hmm. So you need to learn now to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll help you, but I'm not going to be there forever. You need to figure it out. You're mm-hmm. going to go to, you're going to be in high school. You're going to go to college. Mommy's not going to be there. You have to figure it out now and be tough. There is also a lot of uh, practical advice in the book about 
interviews and LinkedIn profiles because you tell your story and Mm -hmm. you have these little vignettes to teach these bigger lessons, Mm -hmm. but there's also practical advice that will actually help. So Mm -hmm. why was it important for you to do both of those things in your book? So it's crucial because, you know, um, you have to tell your story, of course, where you come from and and Mm -hmm. how you've come about why okay why I'm the one giving you advice Mm -hmm. you know type of thing but then at the same time I teach at the universities uh, at community college Mm -hmm. and here at Stan State and I see the kids I work with these kids and you'll you'll be shocked how some of them can't form a sentences Mm -hmm. outlines they don't know interviews how to go into an interview how Mm -hmm. to dress for an interview how to just how to build themselves into a person that is qualified for mm-hmm. a specific job, you know, so, and look the part. So that's why uh, one of the chapters is called First Impressions. And, and I tell my students, you don't understand how much First Impressions will help you. You need to, you need to dress the part. You need to act the part. You know, you, you have to be professional in anywhere that you go. Mm-hmm. But, you know, with LinkedIn and, and having, uh, being careful on social media, right now these days, people are judging you based on what you're posting. Mm-hmm. And kids are not understanding. And when I say kids, I'm talking about high school kids, college kids, mm-hmm. are not understanding the ramifications when they're posting derogatory comments or posts or photos because it, I call it your personal brand. Mm-hmm. This is your personal brand because when you start looking for jobs there's nothing that is private Mm -hmm. everything's out there so your future employers are looking at your profiles you know they're looking at your um, social media accounts to see hey is this person qualified to work Mm -hmm. with us will this person be part of our team and my sister works for LinkedIn so that's why I mentioned LinkedIn because (laughs) Uh, I see the importance of building that resume, even from a high school age. I don't care if you're volunteering. You volunteer at church, put that down. Put it, start start building your LinkedIn profile. Whatever you're doing at school, starting in high school, um, build that resume and start connecting with people through mm-hmm. through LinkedIn. And it doesn't matter who, who it could be. You know, if it's your professors, your teachers, uh, future employers that you're interested in, this is how you get your face out and, and also you're showing people your skills. So yeah, I it's, think that's it's, super helpful. But it's nice that you can help them with that mm-hmm. like while they're still in school yeah. and they can start building it. And I, and I recommend you. people Googling their name. Yeah. You know, Google your name and see what comes up. Mm-hmm. Because if something that, that pops up that you're, you're not comfortable with or you're not maybe proud, proud of... of <laughs> You know, try to delete yeah. it or try to see about, you know, um, you know, try <laughs> not it. try removing it or I don't know, not being not having it on the top of sure. the Google Google page. But it's oh, my gosh. Yeah, that that makes so much sense to me. Let's talk a little bit about you. You're the oldest of four siblings. Mm-hmm. Were you born in Modesto? I was born in San Jose. Oh, okay. And then yeah. you guys ended up, did you move to Modesto so, when you were younger? Yeah. So we, um, so my parents, my dad just told this story. He's so, he's <laughs> hilarious. And my mom's going to kill me for even <laughs> saying it. But my parents eloped okay. from Modesto Junior College. Oh, wow. It's crazy. And I teach there. Yeah. I go, Bab, where did you pick her up? Chazan <laughs> murri, 
where did you anyways and my mom hates me because she feels bad that she did that you know but my dad loves telling it so anyways they i um i was born in san jose because that's they moved there Mm -hmm. and then my sister was born after me like two years later uh and then we a few years after my sister was born i think she was about three or four we moved to spain right i wanted to ask you about that so tell me more about what that was spain was an amazing experience because I remember every little thing about it. Um, you my, were pretty young, right? I was young. Yeah. I went to I went to this boarding school okay. type of thing, but they would drop me off at home. Okay. But I was there all day. Wow. I think it was like 5 or 6 p.m. Wow. And I go, Mom, what would you do without us all day? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was... Um, so I start, I, I believe I was about five years old. And then I came back here when I was about nine or 10. And then, uh, but my dad uh, managed a steel company mm-hmm. because my, my uncle from Kuwait and then man, uh, owned it. Okay. So then my, he had my dad manage it. So when they managed, he managed that for a few years and that's what we did. We lived up in Northern Spain, a town called Vitoria. Okay. Uh, next to it's close to San Sebastian it's like okay. a, in the Basque area if you're familiar with um, Spain and then we were about four hours away from Lourdes France mm-hmm. where Matsmariam appeared yeah. to Saint Bernadette mm-hmm. uh, so we would always go there my mom satlat me like holy water yeah. you know just bring, bring back with us yeah. um, so that was uh, that was a very very good experience mm-hmm. Uh, because we experienced a different culture mm-hmm. and we spoke the language we integrated with the Hispa- the Spanish people sure. and we became friends with them and to this day we keep in touch with wow. them and we've gone to visit them and we'll stay at their house and that's amazing so it's it was it was very nice and and that's something I want to give back to my kids and I know my husband wants to do the same um, is really traveling mm-hmm. and having them see different cultures because yeah. I think it opens up their, mind. their minds a little bit better. Yeah. Um, do you think the experience of having lived in Spain where when you got there you didn't speak the language mm-hmm. and then you learned it over yeah. time, do you think that experience uh, gave you a sense um, of understanding of what some of our people go through when they come here and they don't speak oh, English? Yes. yes, especially, well as a child I believe you can adapt easily sure. to any situation. Sure. Um, at least I was. Mm-hmm. So I ca- I beca- we became very adaptable as mm-hmm. children because we moved. Sure. You know, we moved so many times. But um, I think it's harder when you get older. So, And I always tell my parents and my in-law, my in-laws, how did you do it? How mm-hmm. did you leave something? Like you, you were 18, 19 years old and you just left everything. Mm-hmm. And then here you are trying to establish in a new country, new language, new rules, Mm -hmm. regulations, and just everything just so fresh, um, that, that's hard. Cause I, I, and and if you want the truth for me, it was easy as a kid. Cause you go along with whatever as a child. I think it's harder when you, a lot harder when you're older, Yeah, you know, and what did you, um, when you were going to school here, when you were in high school yeah. or you were first starting college, what were you thinking about in terms of your education and career plan? What did you want to be? Like, what did 18-year-old Adrena want to do with her life? I had no clue. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, 
soda. I had no, I was klikta. I, I didn't know what I wanted. To, I honestly, I had no clue. So I tell my students all the time, it's okay not mm-hmm. to know. It's okay to navigate now mm-hmm. what you want to do. Because yeah. when you get married and have kids, khacha becomes harder. harder. Not that you can't do yeah. it. It's easily done. I've seen, I have a lot of students that are parents mm-hmm. or single moms. Mm-hmm. I, you know, they come to me and I'm like, they're like, sorry, I missed class. My child was sick. You know, it's okay. You know, yeah. we, we got to be adaptable uh, with, with those students. But I had no idea. I, I left high school, Oakdale High School. Me and my sister, were, we were the only Assyrians. What's an Assyrian? They had no clue. So... We, you know, after after high school, went to MJC trying to figure that out, and I still didn't know what mm-hmm. I wanted what I wanted to do. And then I transferred into Cal Poly. I declared a major just to declare a major mm-hmm. because that's what they. Which I I hate that colleges do that, you know. And then they may, and then at at Cal Poly, I knew what I wanted to do, which was public relations, mm-hmm. communication. They they were making it very difficult for me to then transfer mm. into that major. So sometimes you're gonna there's a lot of struggles mm-hmm. from not knowing yeah. what exactly you want to do. But it's not that you can't do it. Yeah. You'll figure it out eventually. And sometimes I tell my students you're gonna major in something and then work something completely mm-hmm. different. So that's okay too. Yeah. And what happens too? Is that you're going to be working at a job for 20 years. And next thing you know, you're like, I'm sick and tired of this. I want to switch careers. Mm-hmm. And that's fine too. Yeah. So sometimes it's just being fle- being flexible is okay. Because yeah. things are going to come your way. And and you just have to know how to maneuver yeah. around them sometimes. You talked about students starting school not knowing what to do. You didn't know what to mm-hmm. do. I feel like... and I think I'm guilty of this too, but after reading the part of the book that was about your education process, I was thinking about how we start asking kids at a really young age Mm -hmm. what they want to do. Um, As as soon as they know there's a future that they can dream of and plan for, we start asking them, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, And I wondered if that was a false, like some false pressure that we put on ourselves and other people. And but also, how do you strike a balance between making sure that um, children and teenagers are growing up with ambition and, and plans, yeah. but also curious and open enough to whatever possibilities yeah. come their way? I mean, that's a wonderful question because for, for us growing up, at least for me and my family, my mom was very persistent about us going to college. Mm-hmm. And pursuing some some type of degree, she didn't care what we did, mm-hmm. as long as we got a degree and our and at least a respectable type of career, you know. Um, but I do want to tell you that my little brother, my littlest brother, is a fireman. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have a college degree, but he has his fire academy. He went to the fire academy because mm-hmm. that's what he he had been wanting to be a fireman since he was four years <laughs> yeah. old. He would make us chase the fire trucks because I would drive. I'm nine years older than him. Adrena, Adrena, go, go, go after the fire truck. He would do that. So from a young age, that was his passion. Mm -hmm. And my parents never forced him to go to college and get a bachelor's. When we say to the kids, like, hey, what do you want to be? I think we're really trying to have them think about the future and maybe set set some type of goal 
because we don't mm-hmm. do you know what I mean yeah. I like at least for my kids I tell them I don't you could be what you want to be I just want you to at least finish college and go to school or of some sort you know but they're you know my, so my daughter has some sort of goal she wants to play volleyball and go to this college and live with my sister and go work at LinkedIn is that her that's her 11 year old goal yeah. like she's 11 years old but that's that's what she wants and I'm like okay what are, you know that's fine yeah. so setting goals is fine but at the same time I think as parents we have to be a little bit have to give be flexible when it comes to their dream ambition when you know just in case, hey mom, I don't think college is the right route for me. Maybe I want to do this, 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 and this. Okay, okay, set it up for me and and like and go for it. Just don't just don't sit home and live off of your parents until yeah. you're forty years old. What do you think when you think about your education journey? What do you think was the most important lesson you learned when you were going to school? For me, it was more about resilience because and not giving up because I think it, it's very easy when somebody doesn't believe in you and when somebody thinks that, for, for example, um, I was made editor of the Mustang Daily, one of the opinion editors for the Mustang Daily at Cal Poly, and then they took it back. Mm-hmm. They said to me, no, you're not going to be editor. And uh, when I asked them, uh, I asked the professor and she said, we have better writers than you. Okay, imagine I, you're 20, 21, and somebody mm-hmm. is telling you. I was so excited. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be editor. This is amazing. So when somebody takes that away from you or somebody takes anything away from mm-hmm. you, whether it's a promotion or, or somebody's putting you down, mm-hmm. I think the, the best thing to do is not to listen to that opinion because that is just an opinion if I had listened to that I would never have gotten my doctorate or or written a book Mm -hmm. so I think that's that's a lesson for anybody is to never give up and listen to negativity Mm -hmm. because we do that a lot you talk a lot about women the women in your life in your book your mom your grandmother your great-grandmother your Mm -hmm. mother-in-law what has it meant to you to have so many strong women to look up to and then what example do you hope to set for your daughter I think it's it's been very important to have these strong women and and mind you my my great grandmother my grandmother who came here Jada didn't speak English when she'd answer the phone like one two three mm-hmm. or you know she would write little you should, I just remember her scribbles um, when she would take a message <laughs> they so they didn't have an education my great grandmother or mm-hmm. grandmother my grandmother was pulled out of school so she could help her mom because her father died Mm -hmm. very young and then my mother who started going to school but (laughs) eloped and got (laughs) married and then you know back then in the late 70s early 80s it was it was um it you know that a lot of the moms just stayed home Mm -hmm. to care of the kids and she raised us and now and it, then it was her time. Mm-hmm. She raised all of us, and she went back to culinary academy, got her culinary degree, mm-hmm. and she's in Kansas right now getting her education. So those are the type of strong leaders I've had as you know, as women in in my life. And my mother in law, God bless her heart, you know, just the resilience of escaping Iran and and leaving that country with two kids 
on, you know, with nothing, with mm-hmm. nothing. So that's strong. And sometimes I think, I, I don't know, I think back and I, I was saying this to one of the talks last week, even though we have an education here and we were born and raised here, do we sometimes lack that courage? Mm-hmm. You know, the courage that our ancestors have, you know, imagine my three kids, Ubaraka, you know, mm-hmm. because of persecution, sure. like, I know as a mom, you do whatever you can, mm-hmm. but I just, I don't know. You think back to your ancestors and what they went through. It's, I mean, if we cannot be strong now mm-hmm. when we have luxury, then, then I don't know. I don't know because our great grandparents did it. Yeah. You know, they, they did it. So, uh, but for my daughter to answer your question, you know, I want her to see these, you know, the strong Assyrian families that she comes from and also the the girls and women around her that that are that are you know are Assyrian and they're lawyers and doctors mm-hmm. and and making things happen for themselves those are the type of women I I want my daughter to look up to who are respectful mm-hmm. and fear God and and have all that so th- those are important qualities that I I want Isabel to to really look at and look up to yeah well, speaking of women, yeah. let's talk about feminism because Uh-oh. I wonder. <laughs> no, I yeah. I wonder what that word means yes. to you. Um, yeah. You talk about it a little bit, um, so I yeah. just want you to say what what that word means to you. Okay, so no, and it's a great question because I get asked that a lot. Uh, one of them, my husband. <laughs> but the thing is, uh, when I t- when I feminism to me means a woman that can that can do whatever she wants in life. Okay? You want to get an education? I'm getting my education. I want to stay home with my children. I'm going to stay home with my kids if you can. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of women that can't. There's a lot of single moms, even married couples who can't afford for one parent to stay home. So, you make it work. You a feminist is somebody that can do what she wants, not what society tells her, not what her husband tells her she should do, not what her daddy and her brothers. And you know how how sometimes us Assyrians, you know, uh, our men are, which is they're protective. And I get that. But at the same time, you I respect my father. I respect my brothers. My husband is the head of the household. I respect my husband and his position. I would never demean him in any way. I have two sons that I'm raising. I want them to grow up to be respectful of women and whoever they marry. But at the same time, I they have to have mm-hmm. too, you know? So you want to respect, you, you want to, I want to make sure my sons are also strong mm-hmm. as well, but respectful. Mm-hmm. So feminism to me doesn't mean demeaning men at all feminism to me is um is a strong woman who believes she could do what she wants but at the same time respect men in the process because i i feel like um if you have a a strong man behind you he will let you do what you need to like like my husband he kind of just okay babe sure you want to do that go ahead i know you'll do it whether i (laughs) i say yes or no but that's that's the a strong man would allow would allow that, you know. Mm-hmm. I think an insecure man would would be afraid of that and mm-hmm. say and say no. So those are the type of men that um, uh, it's hard is is hard to be is hard to be around yeah. as a woman. 
Um, I've heard a lot of women, especially in our community, um, like deny the word feminism or say, yeah. oh, I'm not a feminist. Yeah. Um, and I always wonder why feminism gets such a bad rep. Because of what, we, what we're uh-huh. seeing right now in, in, in pop culture and, and in America. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they they're giving a bad they're giving a bad connotation to the word feminism because of how how they bash men and mm-hmm. how they you know every little thing they're offended by. You know, let's be strong. Nothing, not there's not everything we need to be offended of. You know, mm-hmm. we can be strong and and we can handle it. You know, so I think that's that's why a lot of people shy away from being called called feminist called that. You make a point of talking about women not being equal to men. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if I'm understanding you correctly, what you're saying is that women are not the same as no, men. No, we're not. So, and fair, our bodies are different. We are made different. Yeah. We are made to do different things. Mm-hmm. But the I would say in this, at the same time, yeah. equality then does not apply or does not mean sameness, but it means uh, the same opportunities. Yeah. We're equal in that we should both men and women should mm-hmm. be given the same opportunities yeah. in the education force and jobs and mm-hmm. in other terms like economic opportunities. Yeah. Would you agree with that notion? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, most definitely. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, listen, we're, li- we're living in America. There's nothing I can't do that a man can't mm-hmm. do. Okay, I, let's, let's be serious. Like if I want to be a garbage truck driver, I can be a garbage truck driver. Mm-hmm. If I want to be a partner in a law firm like my friend is right now, she is a partner in a law firm. She's an amazing lawyer. If I want to be a CEO of a company, I can get there. Mm-hmm. Okay. But at this, I'm talking about skills and different type of qualities mm-hmm. that maybe men don't have that mm-hmm. us women have mm-hmm. a, and do a lot better than men. Yeah. So when I say we're not created equal, that's that's what I mean by, by that. But you know, they talk about the whole wage equality and all that. I, that's unfair. It, it is unfair because I, I can put in, I, I'm a mom and I get, and I get, you know, there's a lot of moms that are CEOs and, and, and have these VP positions and are executives. I don't have to always be in the office to put in the same amount of work that a man does because he is in the office. Mm-hmm. I can be at home. I can multitask better than any man. <laughs> Okay, women and that's in women in general. <laughs> yes, women in general can multitask. Yeah. So I feel like I can be at home with my kids, get them showered, akhli, whatever, do homework mm-hmm. and multitask and also work on mm-hmm. work stuff. And I've done it a million times. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think we have to be a little bit more flexible in the workplace mm-hmm. um, for women so that we don't lose that type of creativity. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because we're losing good women out there because of that notion, the eight to five. Mm-hmm. But another thing you talk about is like women having it all, which oh, kind of yeah. this reminds me <laughs> of. Um, you talk about the, uh, what's her name? Cheryl? Sandberg. Sandberg, yeah, right. That's Facebook. the lean in, right? Yes, yeah. yes. Um, so I, I just recently read like two months ago, Becoming by Michelle Obama. Oh, yeah. And she talks about like, People talk about having women having it all, mm-hmm. and she's a woman who, by every measure, <laughs> had it all because yeah. she had a really good education. She had a really good job. Yeah. She had a husband who was very successful. She had kids, yeah, but she talks about how it was really hard to have it all it um, for women because she had to fight for a wage that she thought would yeah. be fair for her because she 
felt like that's what I deserve to be paid in order to make it work, you know? Um, And so you talk about that too. And I think that's such an interesting Mm -hmm. um, topic for women and mothers in general because we do want to have it all, but there is a but. And so you talk about that in your book. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, definitely. I think it's, you know, a lot... We do want to have it all, but you have to know what the def- what your definition of having it all means to mm. you. Do not ever worry about what it means to your friend mm-hmm. or your coworker because to them it may mean working 40 hours, 60 hours a week and then coming home to the kids or doing whatever. You know, whatever that means to that person, that's them. And what we fall into the trap of comparing ourselves to other people and wanting it all, and I think social media is a huge factor in in comparing yourself. So you need to first define what having it all means to you. So for me, for example, having it all meant working, but also making sure I was there for the kids to pick them up, make sure um, they had food, they ate you know, actually homework, do all that. I wanted to be the one doing it, not hiring a nanny or my mom or my mother-in-law doing all that. Mm -hmm. And then I, I would get home at like six and then they'd have to go to bed, you know, taking them to all their activities. And it's a, it's a, it's a big responsibility. It's a big job. So, uh, for me, it was working at my own schedule, Mm -hmm. making a flexible schedule for myself at a, at a job and, um, and then teaching also on the side. So I was able to do that for myself. Now, that's not to say that it works for everybody because mm-hmm. there's a lot of moms out there, a lot of people that say, I need to work full time. I'm a better mom when I have, when I do go outside and I'm working full time. And that's wonderful. Don't ever let anybody say, but you're not raising your kids. That's that's nonsense because you're still coming home and doing the job that a stay-at-home mom is doing mm-hmm. as well. Or if you want to be a stay-at-home mom, I have a lot of friends that have a good education. They have their bachelor's, master's, they were teachers, but they wanted to stay home with the kids because they can. Mm-hmm. But that was their decision and that's what works for them and their dynamic and their, and their family. And nobody should ever t- say to you, but you don't do anything all day. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Fold laundry? Yeah. And do this. I have like a million things that I have to get done. And I personally think it's a, it's the hardest job because I can't, I, I can't be home all day. Mm-hmm. I just, I can't. But there's some moms that have sacrificed their, their careers mm-hmm. and everything to, to be home with their kids. And that's. And that's fine too. So you have to define what it means to have it all. There's a lot of things that I say no to Mm -hmm. because I can't. You know, in my book, I talk about the superheroes. Mm -hmm. You know, I grew up with Wonder Woman and Supergirl in the 80s. And even they didn't have it all. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't have a family. They didn't have kids. So they couldn't do it all. They were superheroes saving the world, having it all. That glam life. The beautiful (laughs) long legs and... The beautiful hair and face, but they didn't have kids yeah. and they didn't have a husband or, or a family. The only one that I didn't write about was Elastigirl from, <laughs> from Incredibles uh-huh. too. Now she, she has a family. She has a family yeah. now because she's a modern superhero. Uh-huh. But you know, so but even in this one, she couldn't have it all. Mm-hmm. In the last one, I don't know if any if anybody's seen it. <laughs> I I've seen it like a million times because I have kids that are obsessed with it. 
she strikes a deal with her husband for him to stay home with the kids. Mm-hmm. And then she goes out to save the world. But then she's always checking in as she's saving the world. And, you know, it, yeah. it's just, it's, and that's mom, that's a mom life. And it's very realistic type of superhero that they portray. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the superheroes because you do yeah. talk about them. And they are the more like in your face strong kind of women. Yeah. But then you also talk about, um, other women in your life like your great grandmother and they're they were strong they're superheroes but in a different way Mm -hmm. it was more graceful and quiet yeah but it was still strong Uh, what does it mean to you to be strong i think being humble being um respectful of others and and being able to be resilient in in facing any type of adversity and what that means is not crumbling at every little thing that comes your way. Be strong and face it on. And I think that's what being strong means to me because that's what I've learned from all the women that have come before me. Like my mom faced on so many things. My my grandmother, my great-grandmother, my God. Losing a husband with seven children after the genocide. Mm-hmm. And raising those children in Iraq all by herself, um, that's that's strong. That's somebody, and I and I know we all have these stories. We all have these great grandparents and that were re- so so resilient and strong. And and my grandmother always used to say, "Achnochon, you're you know you're very spoiled in this country. You have there's no reason you know not to be strong here because we we." we do have it a lot easier than mm-hmm. what our ancestors had. So we have to take full advantage of everything that, that comes our way. And sometimes, yes, things do happen. And, you know, you, but being just being resilient and not, not giving up and being humble, that's key. How has motherhood changed you? I was very career driven mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would always say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to be this and I'm going to, be a manager here and I'm gonna get go this way and then it's and even when I was pregnant I, I'm gonna come back to work like a month later I'm gonna I, I remember telling my boss like hey whatever you need I'll be there you know helping you whatever as soon as she was born I, it was like a I did a 180 and it's like a, a new woman I, fe- I felt like a, a new person was born like I was different, very different. Things that mattered didn't matter anymore. I didn't care about being promoted or being, you know, you know I cared about my job, but I didn't care about where I was going to be in like a year or so because I was very focused on Isabel mm-hmm. and being a new mom. And I just loved that. And I hated that I was working 40, more over 40 hours a week. And I wouldn't get home until six o'clock and I would shower her and put her to put her to bed so I changed my perspective on what I wanted and didn't want as far as as far as a career so I quit my corporate job and then um, I started working at the Stanislaus County Fair because they they actually gave me one of the best things that could have happened was a flexible schedule Mm -hmm. and I've thrived there because of the flexibility I feel like you're you're a better employee more engaged but that's how my daughter being born changed me what has your proudest moment moment been as a mom and you know why I'm asking this because 
I think this was you and your kids, but I remember like a lemonade stand. Oh, yeah. So I wondered yes. if you would talk about that because I just thought that was oh, so precious. Oh, my God. Yeah. So Isabel came up with that. Okay. Because we were talking about all the Assyrians and the killings that were happening, mm-hmm. the ISIS and and what what was happening to our people. And, um, and both of the kids got scared and they said, I can't believe that's happening to kids our age there. Um, and we started to, we were just talking and, um, Isaiah was like, I, I would go over there and kill all of them. (laughs) That was his mentality years ago. Um, but then Isabel was like, well, how can, how can we send them money? Like, what's a good way? And I said, I don't know. What, what do you, what do you, how do you think? What, what could we do? Um, and she goes, oh, I remember somebody selling lemonade Uh she had seen. And I go, oh, that's a great idea. Maybe we should do. Maybe we should do like a lemonade stand mm-hmm. and sell and sell. So we got a bunch of kids from Assyrian school mm-hmm. and my, and from church, um, and we just created the. And I had my graphic guy design like a lemon eight uh-huh. with the Assyrian symbol. Uh, the what was it? It was the, the Arabic N, noon, the right? Arabic yeah. noon on the eye, you know, for the mm-hmm. dot, and uh, we got. Mar'awa's blessing on mm-hmm. it. Like, hey, if we raise this money, can we give it to Asiro and all this stuff? And he said, yes, I think that's wonderful. So we got a bunch of kids from church and um, we did it for a few weekends and then we sold it at the Assyrian Festival here. The ki- And it was just something fun for the kids to give back mm-hmm. to our people because they need to know what's yeah, going on. of course. They need to know that not every Assyrian kid has the luxuries that you do. Mm-hmm. You know, there's kids in the Middle East right now, in Syria, Iraq, and and Iran that are not, that are, don't have what you have. And they're mm-hmm. being killed for going mm-hmm. to church, for believing in God yeah. and, and, and Jesus. So um, so that's how that, that was a proud moment. I, I love that she, that she did that and it became successful. Mm-hmm. Last weekend, you had an event at uh, the Turlock, Assyrian American Civic yeah. Club of Turlock with Mariam, who yeah. is also a guest yeah. on the podcast. Can you talk a little bit about that event? Yeah, it's so me and Mariam have partnered up for um, for this uh, event series called Assyrian Empower Her. So mm-hmm. it's basically we took her logo and then my Empower Her mm-hmm. book and put, put it together as a partnership. And we want to put together these different seminars in different cities to empower younger women and women in general so mm-hmm. we had a lot of older women which cool. I, we love because that's we got awesome. a lot of great opinions <laughs> that's wonderful you can yes. always count on that oh we can always count on those hands being raised <laughs> which we love that's what we're there for mm-hmm. eventually um so we might be in la um at the end of june okay. so we're going to be doing an event there um god willing i know mariam's working very hard with uh, one of the guys in LA to put this together, help us put it together. So we'll be traveling there hopefully by end of June. We'll okay. announce the dates and then go to different cities. So we want to do San Jose, Chicago, mm-hmm. maybe Arizona, nice. um, eventually, hopefully go to Europe. Okay. And then my dream is maybe taking it to I- I- Iraq. Oh, that would be lovely. You know, to yeah. to the Nineveh Plains. And I have a couple friends that are there right now, like Susie Yonin. And, mm-hmm. and I know a couple, another, a couple other girls that are there. And I kind of told them, just, you know, put, put a little um, 
thing in their ear yeah. that plant a little seed. Yeah, plant <laughs> a little seed that hey, would would the kids be interested in doing something like that if we brought it there? It's it's yeah. I yeah. think it would be What wonderful. type of uh, things do you talk about in this? Um, so, for example, this last one, we talked about jealousy in women. Women were, were the first ones to throw each other, I feel like, under the rug to get ahead in life. Or, or whatever. Like, why? Why are you putting... Why do we have to put each other down to make ourselves look good? And it's because of insecurity and jealousy. So that was... That was um, what we focused on. And Mariam does the Assyrian version, which she's amazing when she speaks. And sometimes I don't understand. <laughs> like, I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I'm great at Assyrian, but she takes it to a whole new level. So she does the Assyrian version. And then what we decided was I would do the English version okay. for the younger demographics so they could understand kind of what we're talking about. So oh. what I talked about was jealousy in the workplace, how to overcome it, and how not to be that type of toxic person in that workplace. So that's that's what I talked about. Now, the next seminar that we want to bring in June, we haven't picked the topic, okay. but some of the topics we've discussed is like how to conduct yourself on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I, I brought up to the women as a potential um, topic is Assyrian women then versus now and not just verse now but Assyrian women now here in America versus women in the Middle East and and in Europe and how how different we are and how our values and maybe mm-hmm. what our priorities are we just don't want to lose our people we don't want to lose our people just because you're living in in America and one of the ladies brought up and I go and I told her I was very blunt with her and I go Atu, you're very right I go why why what is it about our language here in the U.S. that some of our kids are not are not just they're not speaking it anymore yeah I always wonder I about that because I, you know, we call America a great melting pot and um, yeah. there are so many people I know who would have never dared to speak Arabic or Farsi mm-hmm. at home in the Middle East yeah. because, and I wonder if that has to do with like the religious connotation of those languages. That's like, what some ladies said. Yeah, that's whereas, what some ladies yeah. said. Yeah. She whereas said, English yeah. is just like. Oh, there's no connotation, you know. That's what one lady says. Yeah. She goes that because she was answering the other <clears> one back, and um, she goes that that's the biggest difference. Um, and then one lady, which I loved. Um, see, this is what I love is when they all start talking because then we, we don't have to talk that much. <laughs> they're doing so the they're work. all they're doing all the talking, and we're educating each yeah. other. So one one of the ladies said, "La la tachminitun but yale and yale surahdiya." Uh, and if you're speaking it to them like my kids they understand everything yeah 150% mm-hmm. she said she said when they get older they will start speaking mm-hmm. it and my brother who is a shamasha mm-hmm. at church um and um he strictly spoke English. I remember my mom to him one day said, Bruni, He goes, 
I don't want to. I, mm-hmm. I only want to speak English. Mm-hmm. Well, now he reads and writes in Assyrian, speaks way better than us, and Shamash at church. Mm-hmm. So it changed. As long as the foundation is there, mm-hmm. I think... So anyways, yeah. <laughs> we totally got, got off That's topic, right. which is what happens. But <laughs> but uh, but those are the type of seminars that we want to discuss. There's going to cool. be, there's so many topics sure. that we can, that we can bring up for women, mm-hmm. Assyrian women, young girls that we want to, we want to bring in. And we're hoping that the community can kind of help with that mm-hmm. and say, Hey, we want to hear about this or, Hey, we want to hear about that. And I, and I told Mariam, I don't want to just always be me and her. Because there's so many women out there that we can educate ourselves with. So having these, we'll set it up, but then having maybe different panels, Mm. like a panel type of discussion from different women. Because everybody brings their own experiences. I mean, how much am I going to talk about myself? It's just like, it's, I don't want to bore people. So I I told money, we need to have, (laughs) we have this now. Sure. Okay, but let's bring... And the next, maybe the third one that we do is maybe I'll, which I haven't really talked to her about, but maybe have more of a panel mm-hmm. type of. Cool. Um, so yeah, that's what we're trying to do. What's next for you? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're so funny. You're. Like, I started off with I don't know. I. You know what? I've I've learned to take it now that you know b- because having kids, I've really taken things day by day. Whatever comes my way, um, I am working on a little project that I don't I don't know what's because of the book uh-huh. because of the chapter called the battlefield. I've had interest in putting more things together um, visually that will bring something to life mm-hmm. that uh, that has to do with that mm-hmm. chapter. So I don't know what's gonna happen with that. I I leave everything in God's hands. I just have to work hard and make make certain things happen. And then sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't happen. And I, I don't want to put too much pressure on myself sure. because I know how I am. I'm very, I am very competitive <laughs> and I'm very hard on myself too. So a lot of times I have to learn to just let it go. If it doesn't happen, it's okay. Yeah. So, um, so there's that. And I, you know, the, as we'll see we'll see any um, other books i'm i'm hope right now right now no okay. i don't have anything that i'm working on or writing because i'm focused on this other project sure. um you never know yeah i i think there could be another one coming out maybe in a couple more years but i don't want to say i don't know what it could be i mean i didn't even know i could do this <laughs> Well, now that you know, you know you have it in you. Yeah, now that I know that I have it in me, yeah, I think I, I would love to. But I do want to have, I do want to work towards having an agent and a publisher. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to self-publish mm-hmm. and market yourself. Yeah. You have to put money towards somebody marketing you. Because I, even though I'm in marketing, I'm not going to market, oh, hey guys, send a press release about myself. Mm-hmm. Like, it's weird. You know, so, I mean, I did, like... I don't know. It's just, I have to, if I can find an agent and a publisher that would help me with my next book, I think that that would be ideal. Okay. Well, if, there, if there's a, someone listening, if there's somebody listening, there's an agent or a publisher. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so the last thing we like to ask all of our guests is we have 
people listening from the United States, from Europe, Australia, Canada, wow, all over. If there is one thing you could say to every Assyrian who's listening, what would it be? We need to learn to to be more unified as Assyrians because if we're not unified and we're not helping each other out, then who will? There's no we don't have anybody. And just you know, and I see it in our churches and in our clubs and different type of federations just the bickering of nonsense stuff putting each other down and for for ridiculous reasons you know reasons that are that are so minuscule that is sometimes it doesn't register in my head why some people are the way they are the younger demographic younger generation is starting to slowly kind of work on unifying and not being not bickering so much on on the little things because it's hard sometimes like to work with the older people like in church or federations or different different type of clubs because their mentality is different than maybe mine Mm -hmm. so a lot of times I just kind of I don't want to bicker with them because (laughs) we're all trying we're all working for the same Mm -hmm. goal my advice or my my thing for for Assyrians is that I wish we were a little bit more unified when it comes to because it starts it starts with the little things what in your own community in your church or like at whatever club that you're part of Assyrian club and I know bit I know things everybody has different opinions but I think the tearing down of each other publicly or throwing people ourselves other people under the bus it just tears us apart this is why we're so separated I feel like a lot of us are so against each other and putting trying to put each other down to make ourselves look good which Mm -hmm. is we should be the opposite of Mm -hmm. that we should be proud of hey Rhoda look what you're doing and Mm -hmm. you're doing amazing things and uh, look at this amazing podcast that you guys have created and and just really being there for each other instead of tearing each other down because we will never be a, a, a nation, an Assyrian nation of one. We're always going to be separated the way we are right now. And I, and I think our generation is slowly bringing us together. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love seeing what you're doing and, and Steve and like, um, like I told you, Savina, mm-hmm. I was, I met Savina, Mariam Shamalta mm-hmm. and what she's doing. I mean, we're like this generation and the, and the ones below us are working hard to make us a one, one nation. Mm-hmm. So what wonderful. you've seen, so what you've seen it with the current generation of Assyrians doesn't mm-hmm. give you hope. For yes. The future? It gives me hope for my kids yeah. and that's what I want. I want I want my kids to be proud of being, that they're Assyrian, that they've had, that their great-grandparents were almost murdered to be here. For their grandparents, like my in-laws, were, I mean, leaving Iran by foot to make it to Turkey. I write it in my mm-hmm. book. And what my in-laws went through with my husband, I mean, they, what they went through to make it here and just having, just being proud of, of who we are. And I tell everybody, listen, whatever in- invention <laughs> there has been, we invented it first. <laughs> you know, and I, and I tweeted about this because I go, you know, we invented the bagpipes, the Scottish bagpiping. Yeah. 
I'm, I, I was that's shocked. Amazing. I'm like, yeah, Zorna, yes, that's us. We invented it. Of course we invented it. <laughs> I had a coworker who used to tell me you should just walk around with a shirt that says you're welcome for everything. Yes. Because they used to mention beer and I'd be like, oh, you know what? Assyrians invented that. Oh, you know, yeah. um, calendar? Assyrians invented yeah. that. Everything. Astrology, I would just throw that in. I mean, you name it. Uh-huh. I think sometimes I... I struggle with um, being proud of those things because, of course, we are. Yeah. Uh, but continuing to find things in that are more contemporary mm-hmm. to also be proud of, of Assyrians are doing. So yeah. that's why it's very exciting to me when yeah. Assyrians of my generation write books or get involved with politics or yes. different things because then we're not just limited to being proud of things that our ancestors did thousands and thousands and thousands no. of years ago, but we have things that we're doing right now mm-hmm. to make an impact um, in the society. Like all the Khabnisan messages from the different politicians in Washington. I appreciated those because they were saying that like Assyrians have made an impact in, you know, teaching the police academy. Yeah. They were talking about what we're doing today. And I just love I absolutely loved all that. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. But at the at the same time, you know, with our ancestors mm-hmm. and everything that they had gone through, they didn't have a voice. Mm-hmm. They didn't we are their voice yeah. now because we're living in a country where we can have a voice and mm-hmm. also a voice for our brothers and sisters in the Middle East mm-hmm. who who may not have a voice right now. And I think we, our job, who maybe have the ability, have the education is to, is to be their voice and yeah. to help out as much as we can. So that that's, I think, is my number one thing. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. <laughs> thank, you. thank you for your time yeah. and being here. It was really nice talking to you and I hope that when you do write another book or there's something else, then we can come back and I talk again so about your new project. Thank you. <laughs> I hope Katrina. so too. Thank you. <laughs>